Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's open the Bible this morning, please, to Genesis chapter 18. And let's look to God in prayer as we open his word in Genesis 18. Father, it's with a great sense of anticipation and expectation that we come to you this morning Because, Lord, we say the words of David that you would show us great, wonderful things out of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 18, verse 22. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein. That be far from thee to do after this matter, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord which am but dust and ashes, peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty sakes. And he said unto him, Oh, let not my Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it for find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned into his place. Now, this section that we are now studying really begins with verse 22. That's where we started there, where it says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. We've already seen from verse 2 who Abraham initially thought that he saw when it says, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men. So at first, Abraham thought that there were just three men. There were three men that came to visit him. That's what he thought. He thought there were three men. But the verbs in verse 2 are very, very important because when you look at these verbs in verse 2, They show us a process of discovery that Abraham was going through. See, we look in verse 2, and the two verbs that describe what Abraham did, it says, first of all, he lift up his eyes and looked. See, this describes his first sight, what he first saw when he looked, Abraham. He saw these three. But the next describes what Abraham understood that he saw, where it says, and lo, three men 
stood by him, and then there's this next verb, and this gets us to the process of discovery, which is the word saw. So that means that what happened is that when Abraham first lifted up his eyes and looked, he looked, he saw three men, but then he did a double take. You know, it was like, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he went and took a double take on that. And then when he looked, he thought he saw three men, but with the next word saw, Abraham, he stuck out his head to see a little, I don't know if he did. But anyway, he stuck out his head to see a little more clearly. And it was then that he studied them more carefully And Abraham, when it says, and he saw them, that word saw in verse two is when Abraham discovered or he realized that one of them was not just a man, but that one of them was God. And that was the great importance of this word in verse two, saw, because from that word saw, Abraham had discovered that one of these men was God. One of these men was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's in that word saw that sets Abraham apart from most of the Jewish people today because Abraham saw that one of those men was God Almighty. One of those men was the Lord Jesus Christ. So that word saw in verse two was Abraham's great discovery experience. That was Abraham's great saw experience. And so when he realized that one man was not just a man, that one man was God with a human face. And when any person, any Jewish person, any, any Gentile person has his own Abrahamic saw experience where he, like Abraham, realizes that the man named Jesus is God with a human face, then that person has overcome the greatest obstacle that keeps any person from salvation. And that obstacle is to confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Is, and that's what he said. That's what he meant when he said in John 8, 24. He said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. And that's what was meant in Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus means to confess that he is God. Then that's what Abraham understood. So for verse two, as soon as Abraham realized that one of these men was God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as he makes this great discovery, then we understand why Abraham did what he did with three acts that follow. Verse two, he ran to meet them. Verse two, he bowed himself toward the ground. And verse three, he said to the one Adonai. He called him Adonai, or as in our translation, my Lord. And as soon as Abraham has made that discovery, then that one man who is Adonai speaks, and as he speaks throughout the rest of this chapter, he's clearly identified as God speaking in verse 13, and the Lord said, in verse 17, and the Lord said, in verse 20, and the Lord said. So in verse 22, where we come, we see that all three of these men have now turned towards Sodom, and Abraham singles out the one man that he did the double take on, that he realized was God, and he chooses to stand right in God's, God man's, the God man's path, with the words that we read in verse 22, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. 
And that's where our section today really begins with this phrase, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. With Abraham having made this great discovery that one of those men was God, Abraham having made the great discovery that the God-man of the Lord Jesus Christ is Adonai standing in front of him, and he's standing in front of him, and he's standing before him, and he knows, Abraham knows that he's standing before Adonai. So in verse 22, we see Abraham knowing that the God-man is Adonai. We see Abraham has taken this bold move to stand in front of him, and with this move, now that sets us on the brink of discovery of what's going to happen in the rest of this chapter, which is a revelation or disclosure or the discovery of the heart of Abraham and the heart of God in this uh, discourse that takes place. So verses 23 through 25 is the part where Abraham speaks to God. This is Abraham speaking to God. See, it's verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said. So now it becomes very important for us to study and to understand what did Abraham say? Why did he say it? Where was he going? What's the heart of Abraham? Because from what he's going to say here, we're going to learn more about this very important question for us. Who is Abraham? Who was Abraham? Who was this Abraham who is the father of the Jewish people? Who was this Abraham that we as the people of faith are commanded to follow as Abraham's children, as it says in Galatians 3, 7, know, we're commanded to know this. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So what strikes us first in this scene of Abraham, verses 23 and 25, is what we do not see. Now, first of all, when we look at this, what's going on here with Abraham, we do not see an Abraham who is just speaking uh, you know, with his mind somewhere else. We don't see an Abraham who's distracted. We don't see an Abraham who thinks that he'll be heard for his much speaking or a lot of words, which is what the Lord Jesus Christ warned us not to do in prayer in Matthew 6, 7. They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. To the contrary, we see Abraham using very small number of words. And that shows us what we should not do when we talk to God, to not look at our watch and say, well, how much have I spent enough time now talking to God? <laughs> have I said enough much speaking? <laughs> you know? And we don't see Abraham who's just repeating phrases to God, which the Lord Jesus Christ also warned not to do in prayer in Matthew 6, 7, when he said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. That shows us what we should not do when we talk to God in prayer, to not say, okay, now I'm going to go and put on my religious voice, and that'll impress God, and now I'm going to use my religious phrases, and that'll certainly get, I'm going to speak now Christianese to God. (laughs) And when God hears all my religious cliches, then I'm really going to be heard by God, because I'll use these phrases, and I'll repeat it to him many times, as I've done in the past, and the Lord said, don't do that. And that's not what we see Abraham doing here. To the contrary, this scene in verses 23 to 25 shows us an Abraham who is obsessively engaged in talking to God. These verses we see in Abraham is really into what he's doing when he's talking with God. In these verses we see in Abraham, he's intense. There's an intensity to all this. It's uh, drama. He's talking to God. And we've seen Abraham who has given intense thought 
to what he's going to say to God. We see in Abraham who, when he talks to God, he has just a few words to say, but those words have been carefully crafted by Abraham to achieve a well-defined goal. As a matter of fact, in these verses, what we see Abraham do when he's talking to God, he has a very definite goal in sight. We can talk about that. We see here Abraham, when he talks to God, he has a goal that he expects to reach that goal, and he's got a strategy. He's got a plan for how to reach the goal. That's very important. You know, in our work at Scanabodies, as a general rule, there's one thing that guides us, very simple in everything that we do, and it's to set a goal, to set a strategy, and to set a matrix, a way to measure whether or not you come to reaching that goal. We call it the GPA, (laughs) which stands for Goal Plan Actual. And so right now we're working on building a new project, and we've assembled a management team to monitor the progress of this new project. And every four hours, in four-hour increments during the week, the goal is set, and every two hours throughout the day, our management team receives a GPA text message on how many is the goal and, and how many we've planned to achieve the goal and how many we actually achieve. So that's our GPA. So, you know, and, we, and everything is graded on the GPA. <laughs> anyway, so in these verses, we see that Abraham also has a GPA. He has a very definite goal in sight he wants to accomplish when he talks to God. He has a very definite plan or strategy that he's using here when he talks to God to achieve his goal. And when it's all finished, Abraham looked very carefully to see if he got the actual, what his results were. So first, we want to understand what was Abraham's goal when he was talking with God. So what was Abraham trying to accomplish? He's talking to God here. Okay, so in verse 23 is the first goal that's seen with the words, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? So we see Abraham, he has a goal of saving the righteous. Abraham is concerned for the righteous, the people who are the righteous, from being destroyed with the wicked. And he cares about believers. And he's talking to God for believers. And he doesn't want them to be destroyed. So he has in mind, obviously, he's thinking about his nephew Lot, who he knows is now in the city of Sodom. And he's watched Lot with great concern. He's been so concerned for his nephew as they've been together. He knows how Lot has been so influenced. He's been influenced, and he's worried that now Lot's in the city is being influenced by the wickedness of the city. He watched Lot. He watched Lot become choked by the deceitfulness of riches. He watched with great concern when Lot, faced with the opportunity He chose the better grazing ground for himself and left Abraham with the backside of nothing. So Lot, he chose these fertile, lush grounds for himself because he wanted to get rich. And Abraham watched him choose these opportunities to become rich. And then he watched him move into the moral city. Maybe he could become richer by getting in the middle of all that commerce and make more money. And so now we see Abraham asking God for Lot to not be destroyed. And that's Abraham's goal in talking to God. This is a wonderful picture we have of Abraham. He could have gotten really mad at Lot for the way Lot treated Abraham, which was less than nice. But we don't see Abraham doing that. He's praying for Lot. And what we see in verse 23 is Abraham, he's got an eagle eye, crystal clear goal of seeking Lot's safety when he talks to God. And so this is Abraham's goal, talking to God about the safety 
of Lot. And that should be our goal. It's a pattern for us. We should talk to God about the safety of believers and obtain assurance from God in our hearts that they're going to be kept safe. And we should have the same Abrahamic concern for believers who are lured away by the world. We see them lured away with a desire like Lot to get rich. We should be talking to God like Abraham did with the goal of securing their safety. So we need the same Abrahamic concern for believers whose life with God we see being choked by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. We're talking to God about them. But that's not Abraham's only goal because he's got another goal and we see that in verse 24 where Abraham says these words, goes further, you know, he's pushing Abraham. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place, he says, for the 50 righteous. So here we see Abraham asking God to spare the place. If Abraham only had in mind to save Lot, then Abraham would have prayed for God to take Lot out of the place. And I don't care what you do with the place, to destroy it then. That's not Abraham. But we see Abraham here not praying to just take Lot out of Sodom, and then God, you just go ahead and destroy Sodom. They irritate me anyway. He's not praying that way. Abraham is not saying to God, take righteous Lot out of the city, and then I don't care what you do with Sodom. You can destroy it. You can just destroy it because I don't care. That's not his attitude. That's not Abraham's goal. That's not what he means when he says spare the city. So those three words that Abraham used here, spare the place, are very important in verse 22. Because when Abraham is asking God to spare the place, he's saying to God, oh God, spare Sodom. Oh God, don't destroy Sodom. Oh God, give Sodom more time to repent. I care for Sodom. I don't want to see Sodom happen to him described in Revelation 19.20 where it says that God cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham's words in verse 24 of spare the place, he's saying to God, oh God, I know the sin of Sodom is great, but I can't stand the thought of anyone being cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, Revelation 19.20. So with Abraham's words of spare the place that gives to us The guidance that we should have the same Abrahamic concern for lost sinners who are heading to be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham sees clearly that the sodomite homosexual sinners were heading for being cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And he knew they weren't going to be annihilated or or burned up to non-existence, but they're going to be forever existing in this lake of fire for eternity. And that thought was too much for Abraham. And so he's crying out to God, spare the place. And Abraham couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand the thought of anyone, no matter how sinful they are, being cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham has this goal of seeing God spare Sodom and spare the Sodomites. And he's asking God, spare the place. He's not willing for any Sodomite to perish but that every Sodomite should come to repentance, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. He's asking God to spare the place he would have all men, Abraham would have all men, every Sodomite, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, as it says in 1 Timothy 2, 4. 
So we see Abraham saying to God, spare the place. It's a rebuke to our spirit when we become like the disciples, essentially, well, you know, they reject. Shall we call down from heaven fire and destroy them like, like Elijah? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. <laughs> That's a rebuke to us. It's a rebuke to us when we say, I hope God destroys those sodomite homosexuals. That's a rebuke because Abraham had the attitude, and so should we. I want God to spare the homosexuals. I want God to save the homosexuals. I want the homosexuals to recover themselves out of the snare that they've been taken captive by the devil through repentance. I want him to do that. So he's praying this way. That's a pattern for us. Now, in verse 23, we've seen that the G in Abraham's GPA, that's his goal. His goal is twofold. For believers or the righteous not to be destroyed in their entanglement with the wicked and for the wicked to be saved or spared from destruction. Now, the question is, what's his P? How is Abraham going to achieve this with God? What's his plan? What's his strategy? So we see this as a broad question. And so he starts off with the broad question. So Abraham gives broad general question. Lord, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? He's come up with this question, which should be a no-brainer for God. (laughs) Because Abraham has personally experienced how God saved him from being destroyed over and over again, as we've seen. And he's concluded that God is in the business of preserving the righteous, as it says in Jude one twenty four, unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So that verse talks about the ability of God to keep and preserve from destruction unto him that is able to keep and to present. And so how he will present in a state of not being destroyed and alive is is what is described in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He speaks about this in John 10, 29, when he talks about this word, when he talks about this word pluck, He said, no, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And that word is very graphic because it's the picture of something happening quickly and unexpectedly and a plucking out. And he said, that won't happen. I'm so careful to watch. In John 10, 11, he spoke himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And that he was saying, if it meant it, he'd die for the sheep to uh, keep them alive, which he did. And so Abraham knows that God is all about life. He's all about life. And he knows that God loves life. And so Abraham knows that scene very well in his mind in Genesis 2-7 where the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then breathed, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's what God loves to do. Abraham knows that. And he uses this fact and he poses this question that the righteous should not be swept up in destruction with the wicked. And so as Abraham is thinking, if I can get God to agree with me on this point, then I can move on to verse 24, which he does. And he starts off with this peradventure. Let's suppose, see, he's angling. I hate it when my wife does this to me. (laughs) She does this all the time. Oh, so you suppose that. My wife's like Abraham. (laughs) 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible's scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.